0: Uh, Thank you all for joining us. It's a real privilege this uh, evening and this weekend, in fact, to have uh, Pastor and Professor uh, McDougall joining us for the weekend. He has a very, very busy schedule. He's always had a busy schedule as long as I've known him. For Henry and I to try to squeeze in time to meet with him uh, every regularly every week it would be something like six or seven AM that we would try to get together with him because that's about the only time that uh we could get together. But it was always a blessing in seminary to meet with him and a uh, blessing that he can come to share with us. So let's give him a warm round of applause as he comes through the pulpit So, since Don's room is right below mine, the deal is you don't tell, I won't tell, okay? All right, just what I get. All right, if we can. I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter, please. Now, i explain to you what I'm going to do, so you understand this. I am looking now at my Greek text, and it's no big deal, but I just want to make sure that I'm telling you the truth. Um, in the process of that, though, I use the New American Standard Bible. Let me tell you why what you use is fine just so you understand something Um, there are others out now that are equally close to it as far as close to the Greek text from which it came I do it because I want people to examine what I have to say and after you hear the message you'll understand that Um, I want them to hear what God is saying, to see it from the scriptures. I I have been in some sermons where I heard a sermon and walk out and say, where in the world did they get that from, okay? I don't want that to happen. I've told them, I said, if in fact you ever go home and you find out that what I've said doesn't conform with what you read, then you need to make me leave the church last week. And the lady said, no, we'll just call on you to repent. So... I want you to look at your text and follow it, because I will do the same. I want to talk to you today, as you notice, about understanding God's church, and as we talk about it, God's church is God meant it to be. Now, someone did say that they visited my church today. I'm not going to tell you who, it doesn't matter, but... uh, I, I do correct people when they say that for this reason. Someone said, how's your church doing? I said, I don't have one, thank you. They said, something happened. I said, no, I never have. Um, it is God's church. That, that's not just a semantic issue. Hear me. If I had time, I'd build on that this weekend. But I don't, I will just allude to the fact. We get too much into my church. We own it. We run it. I mean, we're the ones that started it, church I pastor, I am. it is started around me, it did, but it's not my church. We started it, we paid for the building, we paid for the furniture, therefore it's ours, and we have a right to say how it should be run. We have no right to say anything about how anything should be done. Just tell you don't. Uh, it's this church, not yours, it's just simply that. I am senior pastor. What in the world that means? I have no idea. Um, That's just a technicality for the world to try to understand some role, but um, I don't run anything. Um, The church isn't the church I'm a part of. There are a lot of things I'd do different if I were running it. Um, So, only to say to you, when I talk about the fact it's God's church, you don't disagree with me, but I don't think you even begin to comprehend what I'm talking about. Although you think you do, to the degree you understood this, God's church, that degree would radically transform transform everything you do and think with regard to the church. It just would radically transform it. So, with regard to that, I just start with the premise: it is God's church. And there is a way that God expects His church to be. Now, I can't cover all of the things that God expects of His church. I'm not going to try to do so, but I want to cover some basic things with you this weekend. Um, At this stage of my life, there are things that I understand I don't have as many years left as I used to. So when I go to churches, I say to myself, what is it? That if this was the last thing I had to say and never had a chance to say anything again, what would I say? And so this is where I begin with you today. So, the church is God meant the church to be. In dealing with that, I want to just introduce myself for a moment. Uh, I am, first of all, a pastor. I am 66, almost 67. I started pastoring in 1962. At the ripe old age of 21, huh. there were some old men in the church gave me a rough time, but that's all right. That's when it was. And you know what? what the th- one thing is, I deserve them and they deserve me. That's the fact of life. Okay? so, But that's where it is. Um, by the way, I was doing, throwing away all my tax papers. The other day. I have them all the way back to 1965. I finally shred them the other day. Um, They offered me $175 a month to be a full-time pastor. I I don't discuss money much, but I said, you know what? Three and a quarter is about as low as I can go, so that's what it was. Um, But anyhow, that was back then. Forty-five years I've pastored a church. The church I'm in right now, uh, we will celebrate our 12th anniversary in just two months. And I have been there since the very beginning of that church. I just ended 37 years as seminary professor. Began in Igbaja Seminary in Nigeria. My father had taught there 30 years before I did. But I taught there for four years, and then I came back to the States and taught at Talbot Theological Seminary for 13 years, and then a little over 20 years at the Master Seminary, and just concluded 37 years teaching. doesn't prove anything, it's just a fact. Um... Although in Africa I taught Hebrew and Greek, and this side of the ocean taught Greek almost exclusively. I'm the president of Eternal Truth Ministries, a ministry that we have. And by the way, if in fact you wish to sometime, go on site. It is Eternal Truth Worldwide. That's it all together with whatever, dot com. And you will find, they tell me now, some 600 messages on there, so you can go if you wish. We do a lot of conferences, and this is one of them we did some time back, and we have four of them this year, a different nature. We have this one um, that is happening now. We have another one coming up later this month down in Battleground, Washington. We have another one taking place in Simi Valley in the middle of, or first part of October, and then... We're back in Atlanta, Georgia for a conference in the toward the end of October. So, um, after this weekend, we fly down to Los Angeles next Saturday for ministry in the church down there. I spend part of the time down there and part of the time up here supporting a ministry that we're planting in Battleground, Washington. So, that is the nature of what we do, but... Let us discuss what we're doing here today. I want to talk about this, the church as God meant it to be. And in the process of doing so, I want to deal with just these, as we talk about this, several items that we want to look at. First of all, I want to talk about a Bible. If God expects anything of the church, if God expects anything of you and I as individuals, he expects a Bible-centered church and a Bible-centered life. Now, you call it a Bible church, we call it a Bible church. And I am sure that you think that's what it is. But just to say to you, just to remind you, it is for all of us. It is forever a refocusing. When this body began that I'm a part of 12 years ago, I had already been pastoring, what is that, 45 minus 12, that's what, 33 years? Um, But you know what? I have baggage. I have baggage. You have baggage. I told all the elders, you see, when we come together, we all have to leave the baggage at the door. It is, the priority is the Word of God. What we do at elders' meetings, um, one of the men who was in the early stages of this church came back to visit as a missionary, and he was, he was surprised, but pleasantly so. We don't spend a lot of time discussing business. Just don't do that. Um, we read say through 1st Timothy for example and then we sit and discuss it together it's not I telling them this is what 1st Timothy says it's we together processing and saying if this is what Paul says to us from God then what should we as a church be doing and so that is the nature of the meeting we spend at least an hour and a half doing that we then move into a time of prayer and so forth but Only to say to you, the focus has to be Scripture. And one of the elders, one of the most godly men I've ever walked with, he says, you know, as long as we focus on Scripture, we're united. When we start off into some of these tangents and and so forth, things of my opinion, I think we should do so and so, that is where so much of the division comes. So I want to talk about that this evening. I want to talk tomorrow morning about a servant-oriented life. Jesus said he said the son of man did not come to what to be ministered unto but to minister and give his life a ransom for many by the way down in the church where we served together uh, one morning I saw a mess on the floor because I, I got there very early this is the Chinese church and I I got a vacuum cleaner and started to vacuum and somebody walked in and said it started flashing this camera um, it just wasn't something they expected a quote-unquote senior pastor to be doing. I was in the church in La Crescenta subsequent to that, and it was between services. We would had communion. They were collecting the cups, and I had nothing better to do with my time, so I went around collecting cups too. And a dear Korean lady who was a part of the congregation, she says, Korean pastors wouldn't be doing that. Now, whether that be true or not is absolutely material to my soul. The interesting part of that, you know, even for Jesus' disciples, they couldn't handle servanthood. They certainly couldn't handle servant leadership. And so when we talk about that, the whole issue of Jesus' example was the example for us, and Jesus came to be a servant, not to have people minister to him, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many, how much more should that be? So tomorrow we look at that. Then, a love-driven life. And I want to talk about that because there's no doubt that there is love. But the question is, how does this manifest itself? We'll talk about that tomorrow evening. And then finally, a divinely empowered life. Um, I am concerned because charismatics don't have a corner on the work of the Spirit of God. They just don't. And some of us are sometimes afraid if we speak about these things. By the way, I spoke in the power of God at a school up in Canada uh, many years ago. In Manitoba and it's interesting because I'd only preached once I preached on the power of God and I get to lunch afterwards and this buzz going through this guy's a Wemberite listen they don't have a corner on the power of God we need to talk about the power of God so we'll talk about that on Monday morning but let me come back to this where we are here A Bible-centered life, the priority of the child of God. Now, I take you to a context because I could just talk to you about this, but I need to show you a passage and have you process it so that becomes the context of which we do. So as you come to this passage, chapter 2. It is interesting because, first of all, I want you to notice something before we go any further here, because you'll notice that when you come to chapter 2, verse 1, I read the word, therefore. Now, it is in the Greek as well, just so you know that. And may I say something to you, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself what it is, therefore. There is some reason why this is here to connect it with what precedes. One of the great things, by the way, we of our Western thought, we like Parallelism. I grew up in Africa. They, they like this kind of stuff. One thought leads to another thought, leads to another thought. That's what so much of the New Testament is about, and the Old Testament for that matter. And so, re, the trouble is, we like these parallel things, but you see what happens. This thought led to that thought, led to that thought. There's continuity through here, but you see verses, verse 1, is certainly tied verses 22-25, to and by the time we come to the end of the message, we will tie it back there. But, I also want you to see that chapter 2, verse 1, is connected with all that follows down to verse 10. Verse 11, by the way, I have had people encourage me to write on First Peter, and I have had a publisher approach me 30 years ago. I turned him down then because I didn't think I knew it well enough yet, and uh, maybe I will be able to get something out soon, but to tell you a fact, before you have that to look at, verse 11 of chapter 2 begins a whole new section of the epistle, a major, major section. So it ends in verse 10. Although you have evangelism in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 2, and evangelism in verse 11 of chapter 2. So one thought leads to another thought, but the section concludes with verse 10. Now, I want to talk to you about that in this context, so that you get the feel of the context as a whole. And let me start with this, though. I, I live with this, okay? In fact, the matter is, uh, I have Eternal Truth Ministries, that's one thing, but I have an LLC we have, which is Pyramid Ministries now let me talk to you about this for a bit you see this is what Jesus did uh, I have people walk in the office and one man walked in he sat down he says I know you're not going to give me any answers but I want to talk to you anyhow I frustrate people to death I do they walk in wanting a definite, definitive answer. This is what you ought to do. You know, Jesus didn't do that. And one of the men who is a graduate, now a missionary, a professor himself overseas, he one day says, I didn't understand you till I taught through the book of Matthew. Then finally I did. Jesus doesn't give you defined statements this is what you do no what he does he draws principles that he gives to them you know unless you become as a little child and we discuss what in the world does that mean when he sees the woman giving this money he says she gave more than everybody else because she well see it's principles that he's after then you must understand how to take that principle and apply it to your own personal life. And it may apply differently to you than it does to me, but the principle is the issue, see. By the way, we've come so far since I began pastoring. When I began pastoring, we had all these rules. (laughs) Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Now, some of those things I still don't do by choice, they're not an imposition on my wife. They're not an imposition on my children. No, uh uh-uh. uh. But see, somehow we didn't trust the Spirit of God, so we had to add something on because we had to help people out. See, back then, thou shalt not go to shows. Thou shalt not dance. Thou shalt not smoke. Thou shalt not whatever the word we weren't supposed to do. Uh, there were five of these things, and whenever you went to Christian institution, you signed, I won't do this, I won't do this, whatever. You know what? we went beyond the principles because we weren't satisfied with the principles they're good enough for God but they're not good enough for us be careful my friend when you start making rules Jesus was about principles big time the other thing Jesus was about is about people I may never get the message the you but Jesus is about people I have to quit what time? Not Chinese time, but what time do I was supposed to go here? here? <laughs> Eightish? Okay, no anyhow. OK. People. do you know I was raised in Africa? Praise God I was. Do you know what? You don't pass anybody without stopping to say hello. How are you? Fall. Good morning. Akwenando, How did you sleep? Palafia. I in Korah. How's your wife, I Bibu. How are your children, I in You already asked all that, okay? But but ask it again, okay? How is your family? Are you already asked about my wife, my kids? What other part of the family do I have? You see the whole point of this. You know what? Somebody taped it one time where we are. Were two people met and they started going fa fa mm 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 mm. Almost twenty minutes just saying mm 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 mm. Do you know what that says? You are important to me. I get so angry at myself. I remember walking into an office of a lady who was doing the booking of the church, and I said, "Jackie, how?" And then I sat down. And I said, "I am sorry. How are you doing?" I get so into wanting to get the business done, I don't stop to deal with people. Look at Jesus. Always a time for people. Always a time for people. Always a time for people. Always one of the greatest stories, he was so pressured that day when, it was a day that first time somebody accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebul it was a day his family wanted to take him away because they thought he lost his mind, read it in Mark 3 and following, it was a day of the mystery parables finally he says, let's get in a bulk go to the other side it was a day when the storm was so great everybody was fighting for their life, he was sound asleep he was so exhausted, they get to the other side, see he can never take a vacation it's always about people, so he cast the demon out, right? And he said, get out of here and go back and so he goes back and he still hasn't had his rest and he gets there and Jairus is waiting and says my daughter's about to die he doesn't say I'm tired I'm trying to get away I can't do it he goes immediately and on the way what does he do he stops to take care of the woman with an issue of blood see it's, it's always this way with Jesus people people now listen to me carefully watch this Jesus ministry ends there it doesn't go any farther than that But look what we've added to it programs and property. Big time. We spend more time dealing with programs and property than we do with principles and people. I showed this to one church leader, and he says it's totally inverted in the church that we're in. Look where you invest your money, look where you invest your time. I don't want to go any further than that because it's amazing. But see, let me just tell you something. You want to to deal with this. This is where Jesus ended it. Okay? That was His focus. Exclusively, see. It wasn't about programs. See, we can't handle anything that's not programmatic. I'm going to talk about this briefly this evening. But listen to me. We've made evangelism a program of the church. It isn't a program of the church. It's a way of life of every believer in the church. It's the way a family ought to be. It's the way every one of us ought to be. I'm telling you, I raised my kids this way. I can't go into this because I don't have time, but every one of them, you see, they were raised to understand the home is a center of evangelism. You know why I golfed on? Don't golf because I like golf. Uh uh-uh. I, years ago, I coached Little League, and I was the only believer in one point, and all the rest were Catholics. I had contact with an unsafe world. Amazing contact. I had family parents. I didn't tell them I was a pastor. But I had so many parents want me to coach the children. Not because I knew the sport better than anybody else. No, was so something different happened there. I can't go into all that, but there's that. Then, I lost that. And I needed to touch a lost world. And I'm a minister who can't touch them, so I ran a lot. And I see these guys running, and I said, okay, So I joined them early in the morning. It was lucky it was early because the language was ripe as could be. God has graced me to be able to run pretty fast. So I move up and get over the first guy. And anyhow, they start bringing ringers in to try to beat me. So when they decided to do the first L.A. marathon, I decided to do it with them. So I could spend more time with them. When I did that under three hours, I decided to try Boston. And that was fun. But... The whole point of doing it wasn't to run a marathon to run a marathon. I was trying to reach a lost world. I, I left that area and had no contact. And so I took up golfing. I do not golf with believers hardly ever. Hardly ever. I left one day and some lady, I didn't even know her, she says, Oh, do you have somebody golf with every time? I said, No, I just haven't put me on with somebody. She says, I'm not that good. And I says, Neither am I. I don't golf to play well I don't even try to get better I go out there to reach an unsaved world I don't want Christians around they bother me no they do I, I tell you I can't even tell you the doors that God has opened this way unbelievable doors doors so big you could, you could drive a Mack truck through blindfolded and you don't even open the doors I don't try to make it happen I got to the 18th green one day. Golf with this guy, I just put on with whoever I get put on with. And I get there and I'm, this guy is over his putt and he's meticulous about his putting. He stops and he says, you know what? Don has an agenda. He's out here to win our souls. I says, that's not my agenda. I says, that's my divine mandate. And he's still over his putt and he says, I believe that. And then he putt and missed. No, no, listen to me carefully. Evangelism is a way of life. It's not a program of the church. It's a way of life of every believer within the church. See, follow me and you shall become what? What? You know why? Because he was a fisherman, they would become fishermen. You see, if somebody follows you, will they become a fisher of men? See, this is the question, see. Now, we're back here. Jesus dealt with people and principles not programs and not property huh? what did he say the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head right foxes have whole birds of the air have nest. see this is something he it wasn't about possessions my friend if God has given you a house don't think that's a part of the bargain that's a special deal he gave you in addition to Now, enough of that, I, but, but you know what, I, this is But I need to go on, I'll get there. So, the principle, what is God saying to us here, and I will attempt to do this, okay, here we come. The, the question here, we're back to this again, what is the biblical principle, and by the way, let me go back to this, only to say to you, I put this verse underneath, because, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Mehuper Gegriptai. Do not go beyond what stands written. Listen to me. Anything beyond what's specifically stated in this book, clearly stated, not not some ambiguous thing that you were able to find in here. No, whatever is clearly stated in here, don't go beyond this. Nothing beyond this. Don't judge me by any standard beyond this book. Nothing else. Otherwise, it's just your opinion. I can show you places where that's clearly stated. Only to say to you, don't go beyond scripture. Stay there. We do, my friend. Oh, my goodness. But let me go on. It's foundational to the vitality of your marriage. It is. It's foundational to the vitality of your family and your home. It is. You see, that you understand that you don't go beyond Scripture. It's foundational to the life and the vitality of God's church. I should tell you, I make a distinction with my kids when they're growing up. They're growing now, so I don't have to worry about it, but... uh, my one son wanted to wear earrings. Now, that's back when, well, men still wear earrings, but they were wearing them big time. And um, in fact, I was staying with my daughter on Biola campus one day, and she left me. She said, just wait, Dad, and she ran and grabbed this guy. She said, I just want to thank you. I saw all those earrings in your ear, and it gave me such a great idea, I decided to do it in mine. A guy taught my daughter how to wear earrings. This is cool. Um, I said to my son, listen to me carefully. Understand something. I realize that, you know, nothing morally wrong with wearing earrings. There just isn't. In fact, they may come where men will wear them and women won't. That's a possibility too. And there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not. So you understand something. I understand that God doesn't address the issue. But understand, I am going to address the issue. And it's merely a matter of my opinion, Okay? But there is a biblical principle that you must obey me. Therefore, there will be no earrings. Okay, you understand this, all right? But I want you to understand God didn't say it, I am saying it. Okay, I want you to make a distinction between what God said and I say, right? Be careful, my friend, when you judge somebody else on anything other than what God says, specifically. Um, how far is this going to go? Anyhow, okay. Okay one dear lady came to see me she was bothered because she says so and so's husband prays with his wife but my husband doesn't pray with me and I think it's very unspiritual and I'm just saying where in the Bible do you find husbands must pray with their wives I have no problem if a husband prays with a wife ok I said you know you, let me tell you something your husband is a godly godly man And one day I will say to people, look at that man and be like him. And I can say that today because I said he will be that kind of a godly example in this church. But see, when you start to add something else that you expect that goes beyond Scripture's explicit statement, you say, well, I can find an example. No, I'm not talking about that. Okay? Now, let me come back here. So the church is God's church. It is, okay? And it's God's church. Let me tell you, He rules this church this matter if I had time to discuss that I would but you see this issue of whether it's congregation rule or elder rule it's, it's, it's a mute issue my friend neither one rules God's church only God rules his church that's, that's a fact he rules it either through his word he rules it through his God-gifted people, or he rules it through God-ordained circumstances. See, I would like in the church to have some programs. Okay, There's a program. I want you to teach this class, and I want you to do this, and I want you... And you know, I start building around what I want instead of building around the giftedness God has given to us through you. People are frustrated in the body because they come in, and they, they're looking for jobs that we give them. We say, no, 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 just relax and enjoy yourself. Start to ascertain the giftedness God has given you. Then allow yourself to be used by God to minister to a church. So just to say to you, God does this. It isn't I who does this. God does this. God gave the gifts and God gives the God-ordained circumstances. Read the book of Acts. I mean, is God ruling through God-ordained circumstances big time? Now, he does this, you see, so God's gifted people are released, and I can give you the verses for that, but I'm not going to. In the context of God-ordained circumstances, that's First Thessalonians, by the way, and what the pastor's job is to do, we're on the other side. We don't make the rules, we just make sure people keep the rules. Are you with me? That's all the elder has to do, that's nice. One dear elder I walked with, he says, what a release. All these years I've been trying to run this church and make it work. I don't have to do that. See, this is nice. But I will confront you if you start to violate what he dictates in his words. See, has nothing to do with whether you violate my opinions, whether you violate his that matters. Are you with me? Now, with regard to that, the word of God is what we're going to focus on in the time that we have left. Okay? Now, with regard to this, let me just show you something that I live with too as well. I believe everything should be exegetically run. That means that you take it straight out of Scripture. Not your opinion, nothing else. Exegetical preaching, exegetical theology, exegetical church ministry, exegetical church leadership. In other words, let the Bible do an exegetical outreach. I'm writing on that, by the way. Oh, we got programs galore. I love evangelism. Okay, I've read so much in evangelism, trying to figure out what's the best way. But listen to me. There's God's way. But enough of that. Only to say to you, it comes out of the Word, doesn't come out of that. And, and let me show you. We have the ministry. Our ministry is our purpose is to bring renewal, spiritual vigor, and mission and ministry in local churches. How we do this by affirming the authority of God's Word. And then look at this middle section. I'll put in here. It's the problem of every church. You don't mind saying the Bible is an authority up here, but when it comes to how you do the money and how you do the building and how you do those things, nah, the Bible by itself is not sufficient. Let me tell you what happened. I was in a church meeting one time and a man stood up. He said, you know what? The Bible, you see, when the, church, the Bible was first written, the churches were small household churches. And the Bible by itself was sufficient for the churches in those days but the church is so complex anymore that the Bible by itself is no longer sufficient for the church try that one out my friend now some of you are bothered by that statement but you know we live that way as if that's true God says it clearly and we say well I'm not so sure so only to say to you It's how you practice and work it out, you see. It must control everything we do in your life, in your marriage, in the raising of your kids. Hmm. My wife grew up with a father who had a hard time being firm. He was such a loving, loving man. She says, I can never discipline but there came a day when she and I sat down together and decided we had to show our son the door. And he was pretty young. I'm not going to tell you how young he was. And he wasn't doing anything majorly wrong. Uh-uh-uh-uh. I just read Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and saw that people were disfellowship because they would not yield to authority. and. I just wasn't, I thought if this is good enough for the church, it must be good enough for this home. If I don't think it's good enough for the home, how can I preach it's good enough for the church? So on the basis of that, we did one of the hardest things we've ever done. Knew that he may not come back for ten years. He did come back. Dad thought he'd never leave. But, but hear me carefully, you see. He didn't do it because somehow we sat down and figured something out. And I don't even tell you this is what you ought to do. It's just that we read the principle and said we have no choice. No choice. I do it again. And when I watch the character of that man today, I'm impressed with what God did. But see, here's the question. Are you willing to apply it to every area of life? Everything. The way uh, you're a husband, the way you're a father, the way you're a parent. Everything. Now, in regard to this, okay, the context of this passage, let me just show you to you. Then we'll put it quickly, go here. Verses 1 to 3, we have a relative priority of the child of God, which is what we're going to focus on, the relationship to the Word of God. Notice, as you'll see in verse 2. As like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Notice the position of the child of God. Our relationship with the son of God. That's in verses 4 to 8. Now let, listen to me carefully. You read anybody else's work and they'll talk to you about what we're supposed to do. This is all about Christ. I wish I could tell you but I'm not going to because it's all about Christ. The whole thing's about Christ. I'll come back to it. And then look at verses 9 and 10, our relationship to those outside of Christ. You're a chosen race, verse 9, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people of God's possession. Why that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? Listen to me. I want to start with that last just quickly. A relationship to those outside of Christ. There's two kinds of evangelism here broadcast evangelism and lifestyle evangelism broadcast in verses 9 and 10, and lifestyle in verse 11 and following. Let me just tell you what broadcast is quickly. It's the word is to advertise. It is. It's only used here. Listen. You know what? We make evangelism so complicated. Let me just go back to this. We make evangelism so complicated, so tough. I'm sorry. I'm an Angels fan, okay? I was there Wednesday when I watched them sweep. I'm sorry about that, okay? But the Mariners, they're just losing games without the Angels around anyhow, okay? I can't help that. But I rooted for the Angels when they were losing big time. I'm a Cubs fan. I think we're winning this year too, but we haven't won anything for years. I don't mind telling you that. You know what's funny? We don't even mind telling you that we back losers. And yet somehow we're afraid to tell people that we're servants of Jesus Christ. Dear Dr. Feinberg used to say, We're like the tributaries that flow in the Antarctic. We're frozen at the mouth. Why is it we can talk about these sports things we can't talk about our Savior? This isn't a complicated deal. This isn't taking a course in evangelism. Just tell people how great God is. I have more fun doing this. More fun talking to unsaved people about the greatness of God. And watching their response as they begin to sense it. Because let me tell you what, it's just simply that. It doesn't say lead them to crisis, it just broadcast the greatnesses of God. Go to work and tell them how great God is. You see what he did for our marriage. You should see what he did for our home. You should see what he did. Just start telling people the greatnesses of God. That's simple, my friend. It doesn't take a lot. Don't have to have training for that. Just do. Okay, enough of that. So the, the other part, but, but this, okay, I, I got to go. This is, we'll come to another day, maybe. So our relationship with us outside of Christ, verse 9 to 10. But But look at the order. The only reason I can have this relationship is because of my relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I don't have a vital relationship to Him, I do not with Him. I don't have a vital relationship with Him. Because it's only out of my intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that evangelism takes place. That's where it is. Now, but I, okay, now let me skip this fast, okay, because I could deal with the Son of God and I'd love to. But look at this just quickly. Here's the point that you need to understand here. As important as my relationship to the Son of God is, the first thing in this passage my relationship to the Word of God. Listen to me. Your concept of the Son of God must come from the Word of God. Not from something you think up, dream up, try to work up. It's something you must get from the Word of God and the Word of God alone. You see, it's interesting with regard to this. Let me focus on this for a bit because... The power of the Word of God here is prior to the relationship with the lost, but it's priority to the relationship with Jesus Christ. Before he talks about my relationship with Jesus Christ, he talks about my relationship with the Word of God. Now, now, why is that so crucial? Because you'll understand something here. Christ is the Christ of the Bible. Look at this, I'll just show you. You may not see it so clearly, but I'll tell you it's a fact, okay? Notice what happens. Thirst after the pure milk of the Word, verse 2, okay? Notice, are you with me? In you know order that you may grow unto salvation if, and it's if, and I assume that you have, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, to whom continuously coming. That's how it goes. Your text, in the English text, they translate differently as if it's not attached directly. The question is, verse 4, how do I continuously come to Jesus Christ? The answer is, in the context, through the Word of God. How did you come to Him in the beginning? I remember when I went forward I remember when somebody introduced me to First John 1 9. by the way I shared that in my testimony sometime back And somebody says well but I thought that was just for believers oh my goodness uh, I went forward and the man said if you confess your sins faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness you know was the word of God that transformed my life it was So he says, if in fact that's how you came, that's how you need to continue to come. Now, now, just wait. You see, let me show you something. The Christ of the Bible is not the Christ of common opinion. Notice this, in verse 4, coming up as a living stone rejected by men. Now, I want you to go down in this passage. To verse 7, notice the stone, look at the quotation, the stone which the builders rejected. Now the text says builders. Jesus used builders. Peter quotes builders here. But in verse 4, he changes it, and it's the only place, and he puts it in a perfect tense. And here's what he's saying, that Jesus Christ stands rejected by men. You think people are accepting Jesus Christ and no, my friend, he stands rejected by this world in which we live. I know they use the word. They claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but my friend, he stands rejected by men. He does. That's not all. It's interesting in this passage, then, in verse 7, the builders rejected him. The builders, we know, are the leaders of the church or the, of the synagogue of those days, the religious leaders, they rejected him. My friend, most pulpits today preach a Christ It is not the Christ of the Bible. Just recently proudly did it the man who was asked by the president to speak at 9-11 activities has said since then that he has come to realize the Bible is just a book written by man these are the ideas of men and therefore whatever he can't accept these things and so forth you see I'm just telling you but, but let me take you a step further because I must today just for this you say but I'm not like them oh really Let me just throw some thoughts out. When I was working on doctoral studies at UCLA, I was in the men's restroom one day, and that's where you find some great truth written on the walls. Um, I read something you've heard quoted before. It says, a man made God in his own image, and behold, it was very good. That's what man has done. They've created a God that they like, a God that they're comfortable with. Not the God of the Bible, but a God that they're comfortable with. Now, we know this, and we know that's what they've done, and that's what these people are saying. But listen to me. We, as Christians, have done the same thing we have. Listen to me carefully. Understand that the Christ that you serve may be partially a Christ of the Bible, but he's partially a Christ of your own creation. He is. I'll tell you that for a fact. I met a lady back in, at least in 1959, September 59, she's my age, okay, so talking about 59, that's talking about what, 48 years ago, right? Over 40 of those years, she could not accept the sovereignty of God, just could not accept it. Didn't fit her mindset, see. Finally, one day she says, "Pastor, I have come to realize that God is sovereign and has changed everything as I read Scripture." I said, "Praise the Lord!" See, we look at some of these things. Uh, let me just let me just I uh, just throw something out to you. I'm writing something on, on exegetical worship. i get some of this out sometime. Um, listen to me. I'm not telling you what you ought to do. I'm not telling you that I feel reticent to do. But hear me carefully. We let's take Jesus Christ, okay? We look at his humanity in the Bible and we've so deified his humanity that we don't even comprehend his humanity. It says he knew was in the heart of all men, and we say, Of course he was God. Now come on now. Come on, come on. He became what? Man. He didn't go put on his God suit for a while and say, Okay, I'll do God for a while, then I'll do man for a while. It's not how he functioned. Let me ask you a question. Could Christ as God have sinned? And the answer is categorically no, he couldn't have. But now here's my second question. Did Christ as God resist the temptation to sin, or did Christ as man, dependent upon the Spirit of God, resist the temptation to sin? And it is the latter. That's why you and I can look at his example and say we can do it. He did it. We can do it. But, but hear me carefully. Let me take you a step further. Now he's gone to glory. We, we so deify deifies humanity that we don't understand his humanity. Now we're trying to humanize his deity so we don't even comprehend his deity. Now just, just, just reflect with me. Go and read it for yourself. Go to Philippians. Just an example. I could go to anywhere else. But just go to Philippians sometime. Read to Philippians. Over 30 times he refers to Jesus Christ. You know, every time he calls him Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, every time but once. When they refer to Jesus by the name Jesus, they're referring to his humanity. Now, the one place I would not expect it is the very place it is in Philippians. Oh, it's interesting because, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being, I I memorized the authorized version, I know in ANSB is different, but hear me okay. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, thought it not something to be grasped onto to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You say, why Jesus there? Because... It was the human incarnate Christ that they put on the Christ be, cross before whom they will one day bow. It's the only time in the whole book of Philippians he calls him by that name. You see, why wouldn't they call? They would never worship him by the name of Jesus. Now, I sing the song, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. I think Richard down there in the body has now put my Savior, I love you, or something like that, because it fits. Um, Jesus, the very thought of the... No, no apostle would ever worship the Lord Jesus that way. They wouldn't do it. See, just, just be careful, because there's nothing morally wrong with it, but just understand, we're trying to make Jesus this buddy, see? We can hug and we can love and all this kind of stuff. My friend, He is someone who loves us and someone we can love. But be careful you do not try to humanize the glorified Christ. God has made him his head over all things to his church, which is his body, to his body, which is his church. Let me just just say to you, just I'm trying to tell you, be careful. You think that you have this impeccable Christ, but you have created much of what you think Christ is. When you read scripture, you find these things and they bother you, my friend, be careful. So in this passage, it's interesting because he's the Christ of the Bible. Not the Christ of the pulpit, not the Christ of common opinion, not even the Christ of many people on the pews. He's the Christ of the book. Now with that, let me see what I can quickly do here. So what are we supposed to do? Quickly look with me there. Verse 2, like newborn babes. Oh my goodness. You know what? We're not don't don't go cross referencing this. I, I listen, if I can tell you, be careful cross referencing. Just be careful be careful because I wouldn't run to Hebrews and say I could only feed you know children and now you would let's know what this passage is about, it's talking about all of us just like a baby it took me so long to figure this out, I knew the passage so well one day, and it was so clear 42 years ago 43, whatever in the world it was now yes this month 43 our oldest daughter was born. Hmm. She came home that night. I was so excited. I had pink crepe above the house. I even cooked dinner for my wife. All this and made this cake. Oh, you know, Did All this stuff. And this beautiful baby comes home. In the middle of the night, I heard a noise like I'd never heard in the house before. And uh, I, because I had to get up early, you know, I just happened to sort of kick my wife because she wasn't waking up fast enough. I and you know, very tenderly, okay? And then she'd get up to go take care of this baby, and i pretend I was sound asleep. And she'd bring this baby back to bed, and the baby would start to suck on her breast. I can still hear her. I'm supposed to be asleep, so I can't hear anything. The baby doesn't understand anything, and she's saying, take it easy now, take it easy. Our oldest son sucked so hard in his mother's breast, he tore it. And for a while, she had to pump the milk to give to him because he tore so hard at her breast. Now, just wait for a moment. See, I know how to discipline myself to do. That's, that's, see, that's been easy for me. I discipline myself to run. I discipline myself to read. That's not difficult for me to do. That's not what this is talking about. I could discipline myself and so the whole point. You see, a baby doesn't need to be told, Thou shalt suck on your mother's breast. A baby does it because of the incredible thirst the baby has. Are you with me? Now hear me carefully. You may mechanically read your book, the the book. The question is, do you passionately read the book? That's what this is all about. Just like a newborn baby, passionately, longingly, it isn't like, oh, I didn't read the Bible this morning. No, that somehow in your soul you can't even do without the book. It isn't mechanical, my friend. It is a passion thing. And the question is, you say, do I have this? No, some of us have lost this on the way. And I have lost it to times, certainly, there's no doubt. Mega times. I've mechanically done it. I've ritualistically done it. I've not this way done it. And then you just, just quickly with me. The interesting part is, insatiably thirst for the, after the pure milk of the word. This is what it is. Now, here's the question. What hinders us from doing this? Look at this. Verse 3, notice the statement. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow into salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let me ask you, do you remember when you tasted the kindness of the Lord? I do. I'm left in a mission home at six years of age. It was a horrible time. My brother went to a reunion a while back and he said the two major points of conversation, one of them was you. People are surprised I'm a minister. I got for a while spankings every day. It was a terrible time. Terrible, terrible, terrible time. I wrote a letter to my parents and they read it and ripped it up. It's good they did. My parents had read that letter as slow as mail did go into Africa and back again, it would devastate it would have devastated them. But I was alone. I wasn't gonna let her get the best of me. I saw her years later, and that's what she told my wife. She couldn't get the best I couldn't let her. But oh my goodness, it was a terrible time. I took my kids up there trying to tell them and I just couldn't. I just wept. I still do because it's just the emotions are still there. Huh. So I went to a vacation Bible school at the ripe old age of seven. And it's, it's a huge tent in a commons, and this wooden benches that they brought to town. This, this thing, they went around doing vacation Bible schools, whatever. And this man stands up there, and he says, if you have a problem here today, huh, and you have nobody to turn to. My friend, I was only seven years old, and I was deep with a problem, and I had no one to go to. He says, come forward and I will share with you. (laughs) Seven years of age I went. I remember what God did to my soul. But you know what? I've got a father who set such an example of going to church. Not because he had to, just because he chose to so I went to church every Sunday morning Sunday night, Wednesday night I was over in Japan ministering and I finished running one day and I see this person running out there I said who's that and I said another missionary he introduced me to him and to his wife and his family and he says let's run together tomorrow morning he came by and I went out to join him he says you know what you used to live in Wheaton I said I did he says you had a friend by the name of Glenn I said I did he says I think you dated my wife and I says I did I said where did I take her Wasn't the best years of my life, he says, you took her to church on Wednesday night. Not because I was so spiritual, my friend. Because I had a father who set an example and didn't force me to go. I just chose to go and i take this girl to church on a Wednesday night. The only date I ever had with her was there. So, I grew up in church. When I went to seminary, I've, I've always pastored and Done the school or taught full time, done the two. So I, I went through seminary, pastoring full time, going to school full time, Bible seven days a week. You know, after a while, you forget. You forget how sweet it was. I don't want to anymore. Don't want to anymore. I don't read from the Greek when I read devotionally, I don't read from the Hebrew, I read from the English. I don't want a commentary nearby. I want God just to speak to my soul. just want Him to talk to me. See, He says, mercies are renewed morning by morning. Great is His faithfulness. See, let me tell you what, what God did for you back then, God is willing to do for you every day now. But see, so many times we've been so long with God that somehow we've lost that sense of the freshness. And he says, if you just remember what it was like back then, come back again. Right? Come back again. I don't know where you are You walk with God, but I think most of you remember when you first came to Jesus Christ. Remember Barbara, young Barbara accepted Christ and the first pastor that was in? He sat down when he was waiting for customers. He read all the way through the Bible. When he got done, he says, where do I go next? And someone bought him a whole comment set of Jameson Fawcett and Brown. He started reading it from the beginning to the end. My friend, there's something that happens when you first come to Jesus Christ. There's an excitement, right? Have you forgotten? I hope not. Let me just take some notes quickly here. We fail to remember that. Okay, and I need to move there because we'll not be done. The second thing. See, this is the issue. Thirst for the Word, taste the kindness of the Lord, and thirst for more. Just keep coming back. You tasted what it was like before, keep coming back for more. Let me just quickly. We fail to reflect the true nature of God. Listen to me about the Word of God. When you get in there to read, it's not some mechanical book. Look at this. Verses 22 to 25. Just quickly. Look at this. It says in verse 22, amazing statement. Since you have been in obedience to truth, purified your souls with sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again not out of seed which is perishable but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God. You know what? This book is alive. No, 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 don't tell me it's made alive. This book is alive. There's no book like this book. Now listen to me. Let me tell you how it is. This is how Hebrews calls The Word of God is living. Now, the way I memorize it quick, it's living. Why? Because it's, why do I know it's living? Because it's powerful. Hebrews 4.12, why do I know it's powerful? Because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Why do I know that? Because it divides asunder soul and spirit, bone and marrow. You see, I know the Bible is alive because when I read it and I'm open to it, God convicts my soul and cuts deeply. It's the living word of God. Let me tell you something else. It's the abiding word of God. It lasts. You know, the greatest thing you can give your kids is the word of God. Somebody bothered years ago, they said, why do you teach your kids the authorized version? You know what? It, I'm not, I would say, but it's not because I'm, my kids all use NASB now or some use the New King James. But that's not the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is just fill them with the word of God. The greatest gift you can give to your children is the word of God. It just is. Fill them with the word of God. But notice something else, because it lasts. Everything else is going to fade, but it's going to last. Ever notice in this passage, see? The flesh, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. It's the only thing that lasts, my friend. You won't last, it will last. I must go on. But look at something else. It's powerful. See, do you realize this when you read it? It's powerful. Look, it's powerful enough. If you look in this passage, let me show you something. It's powerful enough to give life. Look at this. I was born again. Notice this. You've been born again, not of sea which is perishable but imperishable through the living Word of God. It's powerful enough to give life. Notice, it's powerful enough to change life. Your your souls were purified through obedience to the truth. It, It not only saved you, it changed you. I'll never forget Korean fellow ministering over here when I was in college he, he was a part of a, a group of rebellious young people who got these, these um, street cars in, in Korea and they went down the street killing people with guns he was put in jail he, he wasn't a believer by any means so they went around jail and pick up any piece of paper they could for two reasons for toilet paper or for cigarettes He says, I just got to be so natural that one day I see a piece of paper. It is not big enough for toilet paper or cigarette, but I'm so used to it, I just pick it up. And all that's on that verse is John 3.16. He read that piece of paper, he called for the chaplain. His life was so transformed, they let him out of prison, let him travel to America because his life was so changed. Just by a small piece of paper with John 3.16. let me go it's powerful enough but but, let me do this let me do this but notice something else the third reason we fail to respond look at verse 1 of chapter 2 therefore putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander now let me tell you what this is all about what is malice what is guile what is hypocrisy what is envy what is slander all of these things are things that keep us from loving one another Go back with me to verse 22. Since you haven't obedience the truth, purified your souls for the sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. Therefore, verse 2, put aside malice, put aside guile, put aside hypocrisy. Listen, God tells me to love. Listen to me carefully. You say, God, help me to love. No, 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 no. God says, I told you to love. You just need to do it. You need to get rid of everything that keeps you loving from loving people because... If you don't, look at this verse, two, verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, having put aside all of these things that keep you from loving, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Listen, here's the point. Let me show you. God commanded them to love. They therefore must do everything they can to respond to that command. Chapter 2, verse 1. Otherwise, they cannot thirst. Because, you see, verse 1 is conditional to verse 2. If you don't put aside malice, if you don't put aside guile, if you don't put aside hypocrisy, if you don't put aside envy and slander, you cannot thirst. You can't do it. Let me try to picture it for you, the principle, just for a moment. You see, our need to respond to the commands of the Word of God we're commanded to love fervently 122 we must respond obedience to that command chapter 2 verse 1 because we can only thirst when we do respond obediently let me try to put it this way this is God's way of doing things See, it's a biblical cycle God speaks to me you read the scripture this morning God spoke to your heart God told you to do something or maybe tonight He will if God speaks to you, my friend, what we must do immediately as God speaks, we must hear what God says. We must then obey what God says. And if we do so, you see, then we will be able to thirst. Here is the mistaken way, just so you understand. This is the mistaken concept, see. Somehow you see God speaks. And you see, when God speaks, I hear. But then you see, I fail to obey. And if that's the case, you see, I cannot and will not thirst again. It just won't pay. You can't do it. You can't do it. Um, let me tell you something. It's a very personal story. I can tell you now that I'm this old. My father once said to me, talking about 11 o'clock at night, he says, everybody must be in by 11 o'clock at night. He says, now I'm going to lock all the doors. My father was true to his word. He locked all the doors at 11 o'clock, but he gave us all a key so we could get in after 11. Uh, So I came in after 11 one night. Wasn't a righteous thing to do, but I came in after 11. I wasn't doing anything horrible, but I, I, I remember the night clearly. I crept into the back door that I unlocked with the key that he'd made for me. I walk through that house like this and the stairs are this way going upstairs to my room but I look to the right out of peripheral vision it's not good for basketball but it's sure good as a son I saw my dear mother sitting there this early in the morning with this Bible in her lap and boy I didn't want to see her I pretended I didn't see her and I start up the steps I get the first landing and I hear this Donald (laughs) I said yes mother you see let me tell you something when in fact you see you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it you don't want to face the person right when God speaks to us you see and we don't obey him we cannot thirst we will not thirst it's just how it is my friend it's so simple so as you look at this back to the principle again of scripture you see God speaks and you see I hear I obey and I will thirst you see the issue of all of this you see is the priority of the word of God for your life and mine that we insatiably thirst after the word of God and we realize that it is the word of God that will transform everything that we're about transform my personal life transform my marriage life transform my family life transform my church life it will transform everything if I walk in obedience to what he tells me to do. Father God, thank you for this today. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Minister to our heart, we pray, and guide us as we walk away from here, that we, as we respond to this, might be open to what you would say to us. Any concept we have of you other than scripture, we pray that you will clean that up and cause us to see you as you really are, cause you to worship you as we really should. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.